0: Thank mm-hmm. you. Conscious Pathways podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Carey, and today I have just a beautiful conversation with my dear friend, Theodora. Uh, Theodora Ricker is a social worker with a passion for and commitment to intersectional social justice and our collective liberation. What Theodora loves most about being a social worker, aside from the core values of social justice, is the framework for understanding individuals in relation to the systems they interact with and are shaped by from the immediate family all the way to the global political and historical arena. Understanding that we are all impacted by the systems we exist in, Theodora is passionate about acknowledging, addressing and preventing systemic harm and sees systemic and collective healing as an integral part of the individual healing and vice versa. Theodora worked within and adjacent to K-12 public education for several years and is passionate about the role education can play in our own individual and collective liberation. Theodora is currently working as a therapist in private practice while supporting systemic and community level change efforts, advocating for a more just and equitable world that centers the needs and well-being of our most vulnerable communities. I am so excited to share this conversation with you all. Theodora and I go way, way back. During this interview, you might hear me call her Teddy. We always have just beautiful, amazing conversations, and I cannot wait to share this with you. So let's jump into it hello and welcome to the podcast today i have teddy with me hello
1: hello so happy to be here and be with you
0: i am so excited to have you on today just i know our conversation is just going to get so deep and amazing um But for the first thing I always ask my guests is to tell me a little bit about who or what inspired you to join your career in social work and education, and how did you get involved with education?
1: Yeah, that's a great question and somewhat of a long story, which I will try to not make unnecessarily long. I feel like a lot of what I've been called to in my life has been based in part of my own personal struggle. And so I really struggled in education. Um, I dropped out of high school when I was around 17, which I was only really able to talk my parents into because I wasn't going to graduate on time Mm -hmm. anyway because I was failing pretty significantly. There was a lot of stuff going on in my life um, in in my teenage years. And there was no one um, in my school environment that really kind of tried to talk to me about that or really tried to connect with me. Um, And I was, for me as an adult and and as a social worker looking back, you know, so much of what I was doing was, you know, a cry for help that, that wasn't answered. And I was just implicitly discarded so to speak. Um, And then that was middle school, high school. Um, And then I started going to community college. um, And I had a counselor there in community college. And they were the first person in an academic setting who really encouraged me to believe in myself. Um, and like believe that I could achieve my dreams and and that my story was an asset and not a liability. Ooh. And that was just such a powerful experience for me that I wanted to give back, you know to my to my teenage self, um, so to speak, and and to be mm. that person to to reach out, you know and and ask. Yeah and ask and, and be available to provide support and care um, in an educational environment with that accessibility. So that's kind of what, what drew me to education within the field of social work um, and social work in particular. I was really drawn to the centering of social justice um, in social work and also Social work is individual, you know, it's, it's working with individuals, families, and it's also working with systems that kind of micro and, and macro, which I think is, well, for me, I'm, I'm interested in both. Um, and also, such an essential interplay, I think, between us as individuals and the systems that we exist in, how. Harm in a system can create harm for an individual, and that just between our our individual experiences and the systems that we exist in. so mm-hmm. I loved that social work incorporated both of those things that and I think
0: a lot of our kind of educational careers begin by what our experiences within the education system or within you know, as you kind of mentioned, these systems at large, so whether that's child welfare, whether that's education, um, higher education, a lot of our experiences will influence those, um, like influence how we kind of choose careers past that point. Um, Really what you're saying is I wish that I would have had a, a supportive adult in my life during those times to kind of help me understand what was going on Help me understand my feelings about what was going on in my personal life and what was going on in education. And I know for me personally, I was always seen as that good kid, so I was dismissed as, "Oh, she's fine. Don't worry about her. She's she's strong. She's still she's got it covered." And that's hard because those kids are sometimes the ones who are often struggling the most internally. They're just internalizing it. They're just not externally uh, reacting to what's happening. But that is so damaging long term to your own health and well-being and and all of those things when you're just really internalizing what's happening around you. I think we sometimes forget with young people that there's just a lot going on around them and they're still learning how to be people. (laughs) And there's still a lot of systems at play that are making decisions for them. And they don't have full autonomy, but they're kind of expected to have. You know, be grown ups and be adults from a very young age. So there's just so many things that are going on around. And as you mentioned, all of these systems at play, you know, if we're not addressing those systems, we're really not getting to the root of what the problem is, right? A hundred
1: percent. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So I love that your specific intersection that you wanted to look at was between social work and education. So um, can you tell me a little bit more about how that works in the practical sense?
1: The beginning of my of my social work career and, and path um, officially um as as a social worker, though I am one to believe that there are a lot of social workers out there in the world that might not have that official kind of mm-hmm. designation, so to speak. So the start of my official sanctioned social work career mm-hmm. um, was it was an education um, as a as a school based social worker.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, prior to my official sanctioned social work career, I also worked in um, in education and also adjacent to education in after school and um, other programs that would go in into schools as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd say kind of like the bulk of my social work and education experience was working directly in schools, um, for a school district, um, at a school site, um, or multiple school sites, um, as a school-based social worker.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. And so being a school-based social worker, um, what does what does that look like for for the students how does that kind of support their educational journey and um, kind of provide those essential resources so you know what might if someone was interested in becoming a school-based social worker right what could they expect that to generally look like
1: that is a great question and i think there's that can look like so many different things. in the school district that I was working for, which was a large public school district in Southern California, there was um a tiered approach oh my gosh i'm forgetting i'm forgetting the three tiers um, there <laughs> more, there's basically this i don't think this is what it was called, but there's kind of um the more macro prevention type work so mm-hmm. Um, That would be like supporting with social emotional learning um, in classroom settings, um, parenting, parent workshops, um, workshops for staff, that kind of large scale um, resource fairs, um, bringing the community into the school, that kind of getting to a a large, a large group of people, um, so -hmm. to speak, um, the target. Is, is a big group. The target audience is a big group. Mm. Um, then there's that kind of more mezzo tier of um, working with smaller smaller groups. So this could also be like targeted classroom interventions, um, you know, groups for students that have kind of a similar challenge they're experiencing, like perhaps social anxiety, anxiety, um, things of that nature. So a bit more, more targeted there. And then also um, the most kind of targeted work um, is the more intensive services. So that would look kind of like um, the one-on-one counseling, um, crisis support, um, case management, working directly with individual students and their parents and caregivers as well to provide that more intensive one-on-one support. So quite a, quite a pyramid, um, there as, as it was visualized. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think one of the big challenges with being a school-based social worker is, is how much, you know, one person can do, um, in a school setting, um, depending on how large the school setting is, depending on how many school-based social workers are in that setting um, and where, where that support is going. And, and also from a feasibility standpoint, where that support can go. You know, if you are at a school that's very high crisis, there's a lot of students in crisis, you're going to be doing a lot more of that um, intensive, like individual, um, support and probably less of the more mezzo and and macro supports within the school system. So Mm -hmm. that was definitely a challenge and also a really tremendous opportunity, I think, is that as a district I worked for, each school-based social worker would kind of sit down with the administrator and, and create basically a plan for what services we would provide within these larger kind of frameworks. Um, and so it was very flexible, so to speak, depending on on the school-based social worker, their interests, the school's needs, et cetera. But very, very wide range of stuff that, that school-based yeah. social workers can find themselves doing. And then I really love that you phrased
0: it as, you know, there's challenges and then there's the opportunities, right? Because as you mentioned, a lot of the time when, especially, you know, after 2020 and just the big disruption that has happened since then. And the system, education system wasn't perfect before then either. Um, And then COVID really heightened some of those big challenges and those big issues that were already there. (laughs) They were just more loud. Um, And so a lot of the times when we're doing kind of this, this like social work in general, it's we're attending to the crisis right now. So you're just kind of triaging and you're just trying to, do the least amount of harm and you're trying to solve the problem that's right in front of you. Whereas that macro work is, it kind of gets left behind because it's not the triage. It's not the most important thing that is right in your face. Like, hey, this thing's happening. We got to focus on this. But if we did take that time to like widen that lens and focus on that kind of wider level, that macro level um, area of, of work, then we can see that, oh, okay, all of these crises are actually stemming from this bigger systemic issue that we haven't actually had time to look at. But if we did, <laughs> wow, the work that we could do to really, you know, be more proactive instead of reactive, especially in education, especially in, you know, students' lives where there's just a lot going on, and we're still dealing with the aftermath of COVID. We're still dealing with, you know this. The, the racial reckoning. We're still dealing with all of these really big issues, and we're getting more bigger issues that are popping up as well. Um, so I love that you phrase it as just opportunities to look at that and, you know, those different tiers, because it's really important. It's not just one size fits all. It's not just a band-aid that we just slap on and say, okay, I've solved your problem. You're good. It's, okay, well, how, how did the injury happen? Where did it begin? <laughs> and what could we do to make sure that this injury isn't continuing to happen and it's not festering and all those different things?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, Really, that really kind of getting to the root of things, it sounds like that you're, that you're referring to. And I have yet to find a system within our broader society at large that does not Impact and intersect with education in some capacity or another, mm-hmm. whether that's, you know, racism, homophobia, transphobia, um, sexism, all the isms, um, poverty, you know, everything that stems from that, um, you know, community mm-hmm. violence, domestic violence, substance use, etc., mm-hmm. etc. Et it all it all impacts schools um, and students mm-hmm. and staff and teachers, and so it is really challenging. I think you miss a lot when you when you mm-hmm. don't zoom out, guess, in that way, um, and you miss a lot, and and that has a big impact um, on mm-hmm. students and staff as well when those systemic factors. Of course, as you mentioned, you know, COVID had a huge impact um, mm-hmm. on the educational system as well. It did.
0: It it just it illuminated so many more issues, and it draw it drew a lot more attention to these other issues, and you know, populations that were already really vulnerable due to all these deeper systemic issues within our population. Those those became worse in so many different ways and it, it's just it's, it's really hard to see that and I think that's what we saw during that 2020 year is just oh okay these issues are really pro- like really prominent um, communities are deeply hurting and I think we we saw privilege in a different way especially in education where just the opportunities weren't there for certain students and certain families and we're continuing to deal with the aftermath of that Um, And it's just already a situation that was already really hard and difficult. Then you just added on top of that a global health pandemic (laughs) that didn't really make it any easier. And so in what ways do you think a social justice perspective really aligns with, um, you know, these topics that we've just been talking about in terms of the educational system, in terms of social work? Where does that social justice, um,
1: where does it fit in? I mean, I think and obviously I'm biased. Um as a social worker with with a social mm-hmm. justice perspective, but I don't think that you can look at education not have a social justice lens and and if you mm-hmm. don't have a social justice lens, you're going to miss so 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 much. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's it's every it's every element. It's every aspect. As you said, you know, the incredible disparity um, in resources that are available from one neighborhood to the next, from one school to the next, really, I mean, there's so many things that fly in the face of, you know, this this belief um, of equality. Um, and I think you really, really, really see that. In, in education. And I think when you don't have a social justice perspective in education, you can unintentionally, um, or I'd like to hope no one is intentionally causing harm. Um, but you can cause a lot of harm. It it just, it goes back to intersectionality. You know what I mean? You can't Mm -hmm. not acknowledge the impact of racism, particularly and specifically anti-black racism, um, in the United States, our immigration system, um, policing, incarceration—again, um, all many of those other systems that I that I spoke about um, previously. If you turn a blind eye to all of that and, and how those systems impact students, families and staff, mm-hmm. that's that's harm. You know, that that's not acknowledging yeah. people's lived experiences and and how those look different, you know, for each individual based on their their life circumstances and mm-hmm. and their identities yeah, to just try to take a stance of, of neutrality, I feel like is, is, is harmful. We see that so much, you know, mm-hmm. in, in schools, um, when there is not that acknowledgement and that focus mm-hmm. and that care, you know, it leads to many of the outcomes that, that we see in, in education today. Mm-hmm. Um and and how education is is not serving every student equally by any means and so for me i i, I don't know i don't know how to not see it i don't i don't know how how <laughs> how to not see that that interplay mm-hmm. um because it is just so tremendously impactful
0: it it really is and i agree it's it's impossible to not see it once you become aware of it and i think once I started studying social justice and advocacy and education and the education system and the child welfare system, and just how some of these systems work exactly as they're intended to work, which is disappointing because it it does leave out a lot of voices. It leaves out a lot of opportunities to help and it actually perpetuates a lot more harm than the good that it's supposed to be helping. Right. Um, So Yes, it's hard not to see it once you kind of become aware of it. And once you're, you're, you're seeing these issues, it's like, oh, no, it's everywhere. It's, it's everything. Um, everything is impacted. It's not just, you know, racism. It's, it's racism is embedded into every avenue of our, our, our systems, every avenue of our government, of our education system, of our even our food, you know, systems. Even those have racism in them. And it's hard to not start seeing that. Um, And I know when I was studying these things, and I know we've had conversations about this too, is it can be really disheartening to learn about all of these really big systemic issues and learn that, you know, there's these big issues that are embedded into our everyday lives. And it's, it's hard to know that, and it can be really discouraging, and it can really be disheartening. And I know a lot of people kind of experience a very big just mental dip or emotional dip when we're being exposed to that because it's just hard to see it and it can feel like nothing I can do can make a difference so what would you say in those in these kind of situations to someone who is learning about these things um you know what would we say to to that person that could continue to give them that that optimism that this work is worth doing and that even our small steps can make a difference
1: yeah, that's a great question and, and such an important thing to think about because I completely agree with you. It is it is so easy to get overwhelmed, you know, trying to like swim upstream in a current that is just like pushing a lot of stuff um downstream <laughs> downstream at you. And I think this is not an original thought by any means. Um, But I think it's important to tell the truth about what's happening as a first step. You know, I think kind of as, as we spoke to previously, like so much of the harm comes from the denial of these systemic influences, um, these systemic harms. And so I really think acknowledgement and awareness is such a hugely profound and important first step. Having these conversations in in education mm. um, is also hugely important because, again, like to not be having these conversations and to not be talking about these systemic factors. You're just missing like such a tremendously huge piece of the puzzle. It's it's almost mm-hmm. like what 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 are what are we talking about here? Um, yeah. Without that, that's, that's such a, a critical and important first step. There are ways that we, you know, as individuals, can work to mitigate or or minimize that harm, um, at mm-hmm. the very least, in our individual interactions, you know, with. With students, with families, with our coworkers, with staff. Mm-hmm. And I think that that goes a long way. When I was working in schools, um, and while you're working in schools, that's a larger topic of conversation. I, I don't know <laughs> if we'll get to that. Um, I had to take a break for my own mental health and well being. Um, but one thing that I would talk a lot, about with my with my counseling colleagues is you know I might not be the person you know I might not be um, the social worker like the therapist the counselor that this student caregiver feels comfortable talking to and and opening up with but at the very least I want to to the best of my ability, try to make this a positive experience. You know what I mean like show this student this caregiver that like they are that they are heard, that their feelings, their experiences matter, that someone is listening to them, you know that someone is is you know advocating for them you know in the way that they want, um, and finding out what, what that is, I think is, is also Mm -hmm. an an important step and providing that support. Um, and I think that can go a long way. You know, I think back kind of to my own experience, you know, to this counselor at, at the community college who, you know, changed my life, like in, in a lot of ways. And, and, you know, I think a lot of us also have memories of not so great you know interactions that we had that also had a big impact on our lives. So I think it's important you know to recognize like what's what's inside of our control, like so to speak, um, and to take actions with that while also you know calling attention and having those conversations on a larger level, you know, with colleagues getting involved with organizations that are you know really calling attention to the systemic challenges that we see in schools and um you know letting the the people most impacted be the ones leading um the creation of the new solutions and supporting those endeavors um is also i think huge and and just you know continuing to to educate ourselves and and being conscious of of who we're, who we're supporting and, and also, you know, to the extent that we can and that it is safe for us to do so because okay. that varies for each person and their different identities. You know, yeah. calling call stuff out, um, you know, as, as needed mm-hmm. as well. Again, to, to the extent that's safe. Yeah, not always I, comfortable. I love that said
0: that you said that. Exactly. I love that you made that distinction because, again, you know, me calling someone out as a Black woman is going to sound and feel different, right, than like someone else calling someone out. And I just have to weigh in. Is this a space that I feel comfortable weighing that out? And also, I've just had to pay a lot of attention during my own advocacy journey on what does advocacy look like to me? Because what it looks like to me might not be the same thing that it looks like to other people. Um, I've been to the marches, I've been to the protests. And while those are really great ways of social advocacy and really bringing attention to a very important issue, I've learned that those are not the spaces that I feel the most comfortable advocating for. And I just have to kind of recognize that. And I know that it doesn't make me any less of an advocate because I don't go to the protests or I don't go to the marches. Um, it just means that my advocacy is going to look a little bit different, but at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you're taking care of yourself because advocacy is such a, a draining thing. (laughs) Um, it takes a lot out of you, especially when we're talking about really deep and important issues. It, it can be really draining. It can take so much of your time and your energy. And it's important that you are caring for yourself. And there's that big topic of, stepping up and stepping back, right? So in advocacy, you don't always have to be the speaker head. You don't always have to be at the forefront, right? It's important that we step back and we allow other people to take that position. Well, we take time to breathe, take care of ourselves, re-regulate so that we are still giving our whole true and authentic selves to this, this, you know, idea that we're really passionate about. And, It's it's everyone's everyone's advocacy journey is just going to look a little bit different, and that is one hundred percent (laughs) okay.
1: Yes, exactly. And thank you, thank you for naming that and and calling that out um, explicitly, and and also the self care piece because there's some there's so many ways to to be an advocate to make a difference, um, and finding the way that that works for you, um, that's right that's right for you is so important and. And really taking care of yourself in the process, which sometimes looks like, like stepping back.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I similarly, I've had my moments where I've stepped back from education and I went into the nonprofit sector and I've done other things. And I always say that education is, is home to me. I always come back to education, no matter what happens. I always just find my way back to being in the education world in some capacity. And I think those times when I've taken a step back and I've just taken a break, you know, I got really, really burnt out at, you know, a school that I had been working with. And it was, I took it really personally that I got burnt out, took it really personally that I, you know, quit education and did something different. But when I look back on that time now, I'm like, no, I needed that time to reset, to come back to my why. Why am I advocating so, so staunchly for social justice and education, for advocacy and education? Why am I advocating so much for for equity and all these different things to happen in our education system? So it it gave me time to come back to my why. It gave me time to do a lot of learning about myself, do a lot of learning about what the state of system is right now. And something that you mentioned, too, as well, is listening to the populations who are most impacted by the injustice. Um, oftentimes we get into advocacy and we think I'm going to use my voice and I'm going to advocate for other people and we're going to do this and we get too much in our own head about it and we forget to actually listen to the people who are most impacted by the thing that we're advocating for because their voices are often the ones that are stifled and are not heard and they're the ones who are actively going through the thing so why would we not seek out those voices and find ways for their voices to be elevated within this cause. Because um, that's when we're really going to get the most authentic feedback. That's when we're really going to get the most authentic way forward is by actually engaging with the community and actually engaging with what do you, what do you actually need and how can we best be supportive to getting you there?
1: Yeah. Yes, 100%. That notion is something that, again, not an original thought, um, by any means, um, one of my amazing mentors, Dr. Rashida Crutchfield, um, who's one of my professors um, at Cal State Long Beach School of Social Work. Um, I remember the first time she kind of put that into words um, mm-hmm. for me was that you know the the people most most impacted by a problem are are the closest to the solution. I don't know; those were her exact words, but it was like fireworks, like going off in in my brain. Like, <laughs> yes, exactly. That is, that is exactly it. Um, articulated so beautifully and and succinctly, um, which is not a strong suit of mine. <laughs> and so, so essential. And I think, yes, mm-hmm. as, as you said, it's so easy to. To lose sight of that, um, I think we see that a lot happening um, in education. There's a lot of adultism, adults mm-hmm. thinking that they know what's best, you know, for mm-hmm. for the kids and the students. And you know, yes, there are years of experience in, in education and, and all of that, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you know, the the expertise comes from the people who are who are who are living that who have that lived experience um and they know what they need and like taking our like stepping aside um and and listening and like you said supporting with with the support that that we're being asked for by the people who should be who should be leading the change and creating yeah. the solutions
0: absolutely and i love that like when you're mentioning too with the the student's you know, being an active participant in that. That's another thing that just is very near and dear to my heart is that I think sometimes we underestimate students and we underestimate, you know, children and adolescents thinking that, oh, these these ideas of social justice, it goes over their head or it's going to be too much for them. Like, we don't need to talk about those things with them. Whereas, again, they're the ones who are actively going through a lot of these situations. And we think about the future, right, they're the ones who are gonna have to deal with whatever future that we're leaving them with. So why would we not engage them in these these kinds of conversations and have deep personal and and you know deeply transformative conversations with students on what topics are important to them, what does the future look like that they would want to be a part of and how do we get there? They have really great ideas and that's kind of that that idea of youth adult partnerships. Like it's a partnership, right? as an adult, we're coming in there with our fully formed frontal lobes and, yeah. <laughs> you know, our our experience, not the discount that our experience with learning and our experience with teaching and our experiences, they also are very important to the advocacy field and work, right? And as adults, you know, we, we kind of, we understand the bureaucracy a little bit more than perhaps, um, you know, the teenagers and adolescents do. So there's great things that, we do bring to this, you know, social justice and advocacy. And at the same rate, so do adolescents and teenagers and children, they bring, they bring their own advantages as well. So they have a lot of different ways that they see the world and different ways of processing the world that we just don't because we've been inundated with bureaucracy. (laughs) So we've been inundated with, this is just the way things are. And for them, this isn't just the way things are, right? They, they have these really new, fresh ideas on how we can shift and change things and we can do things maybe a different way or you could try something a different way, you know? And they often have like a lot more kind of fire and passion and energy, right? Because again, they haven't been inundated with bureaucracy yet. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's just a lot of these really great, amazing qualities that when we're not authentically engaging with them, we're losing out on so much really important, juicy information and juicy work that we can be getting into when we just ignore that or we go the adultification route of, I'm the adult, I'm the educator, I'm the all-seeing, all-knowing being, um, and, you know, you don't know anything because you're, you know, 13 years old. And like, well,
1: they know some things. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm yeah they are they're they're the experts of their lived experience yes, yes, mm-hmm. I think that is such an
0: important such an important phrase. Just they are the experts of their lived experience, like let's listen to them, let's elevate that experience, and let's let them advocate again in a way that makes sense to them, mm-hmm. so maybe doing you know talking in front of large crowds or doing kind of work with Congress and all that kind of stuff, maybe that works for some really outspoken students, but what does advocacy look like for other students who that just might not be their way of advocating um, and really just normalizing that again, advocacy can look a lot of different ways um, and that either way that you choose to advocate is 100% okay and normal. (laughs) There's no, you know, there's no absolute one way to do advocacy and, and do social justice. And that's the beautiful thing about it.
1: Yeah yeah exactly and and we need all those different ways mm-hmm. you know, like you know we there's there's a space for everyone's skill set mm-hmm. and and comfort level and and expertise like within advocacy, mm-hmm. like you said like you know we need people speaking to Congress and mm-hmm. like other people like making like a really like amazing memes to just perfectly capture yes. a situation, you know, like, like there is, there is, there is room for everyone. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, we're, we're all part of an important quilt, so to speak yes. of, of the advocacy and, and each of those, each of those threads is so important. Ooh. That was, that was beautiful. <laughs> That's my cozy, that's my cozy fall metaphor. I love
0: the cozy fall metaphor. That yeah, that made me feel really cozy and happy inside. I was like, yes, that, more of that, please.
1: Um,
0: So thinking of social justice and thinking of that intersection of social justice and social work and education, if we were to look at a specific issue um, that people today might be facing and how we could use that social justice or that social work kind of framework around it, what could that be? I know for me, one that I'm really passionate about is a school to prison pipeline. So, kind of looking at all the different aspects that could influence how that works and why it's perpetuated. And of course, as we said, there's all the isms that are. Kind of inextricably intertwined within the systems that enable this to happen. Is mm-hmm. there a issue that you feel uh, called to, you or like especially passionate about?
1: I think. I mean, there's so much. Like it's it's hard for me to <laughs> yeah. to choose to choose one, um, so mm-hmm. to speak, because they, they are so interconnected. Um, I think for me, where I feel the most passionate as a whole is, is not so much like with a particular topic, I guess, so to speak, like within social justice, mm-hmm. um, as it like going back to like, um, what I mentioned earlier, like really supporting the people who are who are most impacted to be the ones Mm -hmm. leading, leading the solutions. And so, um, within education, I just feel so passionately about listening to students, um, and listening Mm -hmm. to, to their voices and, and centering their leadership, um, in creating Mm -hmm. the education systems of the future. Um, and in, in what that looks like. Um that to me feels like the most important thing and and I think with that with that centering students' experiences and centering the people most most impacted, I think that kind of covers covers all the topics um so 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 to, so to speak, um like within that because the students will will bring that and and they'll bring their their lived experience of those systemic challenges, like those, those systemic harms um, and, and with it, like the, the solutions um, I think for those as well. So to me, that feels, that's what I think I feel most, most Mm -hmm. passionate and called to is supporting, supporting, supporting the folks who should be who should be leading these movements? We're most impacted. Yeah.
0: I think that is such an important thing to focus on and to support. You know, especially just elevating those voices and making sure that they have the resources and the opportunities to have themselves be heard, to share their their lived experience and share their and share their story, and really helping and supporting them with that and giving them, of course, those resources for how to care for themselves in these moments too. Because again, advocacy is, it's really draining. It can can be really hard. Um, And, you know, it's really important that we're protecting ourselves and we're protecting those communities and making sure that they have all the resources to be protected. And at the same time, being as involved in this process as much as possible, and as much as they want to be involved. Um, Mm. Because again, advocacy is going to look so different for every person. Uh, Um, I do have one last question for you. It's a question I ask all of my guests, which is,
1: how do you reimagine education? That is such a great question. Um, And I think that ties back to something that I have heard from students in a lot of different capacities. as being as being so critical for them in, in their educational journey um, is schools being places where students feel safe mm. um, and they feel supported um, and they get to bring you know their their whole selves you know to mm. to the school setting and that that is not only affirmed but also celebrated Um, and that there is also you know for for family members for caregivers um, in that Mm. as well I think community schools are really are really exciting Mm. to me I don't know if this is a word Um, the 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 decarceralization of schools yes um, I mm-hmm. think is, is also huge. Um, you know, we see that with um, policing in schools and mm-hmm. um, the more subtle forms of policing, um, mm-hmm. you know, over, over reporting, you know, to child welfare agencies, that kind of CYA, um, mm-hmm. as, as we say in, in the biz and as different, different ways of, of. Navigating conflict and challenges that aren't mm. so, so carceral, um, for, for the kids and so punitive. Mm. Um, I think huge, um, as well in, in having schools be safe, um, and supportive and, and affirming environments. And I think within a student, you know, student parent community teacher led, I think as mm. well, um, is another, huge way of reimagining um education you know there is so much, much business um i think and 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 legality i think um within the school system um sadly and liberatory education i think is also is also huge um within all of that as well like not not just trying to make us Cogs cog, cogs in the capitalist machine, um, but really yeah, really, you know, telling telling the truth about things, um, mm-hmm. our history, um, mm-hmm. the history of education um, and really empowering empowering students with that with that knowledge and and to be themselves and to explore you know, the different avenues within education, within the traditional school environment and and outside of it that are, that are right, you know, for each person. Absolutely.
0: That, that fills me with so much joy, just thinking of a future of education that incorporates all of those really Beautiful qualities of restorative justice, of liberatory education that really centers that student voice and empowerment. And I I love that you mentioned that, you know, that teacher empowerment too, because teachers also have really great ideas that oftentimes don't get to be heard because again, all the bureaucracy, all of the, there's just a lot of other things that are inundating their ability to actually be creative in the classroom and actually you know, create a a really loving and really, really just amazing safe classroom community for these students to thrive. Um, I, I love I love that version of an education system. I agree. I want to see that. That just feels so cozy and warm and amazing to me.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you know, I know we talked a lot about the students, but thank you for highlighting the teachers too, because. The teachers are also the experts of their own lived experiences as well. And as a society, we just we just do not honor that enough um, mm-hmm. as well. Absolutely. It's
0: I agree. We don't want our teachers to be cogs in the machine. Um, There's so much beauty in education. There's so much beauty in being a teacher. And I know my days being in the classroom and when I was free to have the curriculum be any way I wanted it to and I was free to really create that classroom community. It's a community that was built and is still a thriving community today. I still hear back from those families that I worked with years ago. I still get updates from them and that always warms my heart and soul to know that I was able to build a community with these families and know that they still hang out together, that they still They still go out and they're like, they're still friends. They're still a community now, even though we're not in the same classroom together. And just imagining that if I wasn't able to do those creative things or, you know, be have my curriculum be culturally relevant and and responsive. That was, you know, another episode that we just did. And those really beautiful, amazing things all contributed to creating that environment that students wanted to be in and families wanted to be a part of. And. It was just such a, such a beautiful, unique experience. And when I look back on my teaching journey, that was such a great highlight of my career was being able to do that. And I want every teacher to experience the joy of teaching in that way. Um, and I want every student to experience the, the safeness of a classroom that is wholly inclusive to them, whether you know whatever your identities are whatever your needs are uh whatever whatever it is that's going on like just is fully inclusive to you is such an amazing experience and I want every student to experience that yeah
1: yeah that's beautiful thank you this whole conversation
0: has just been a warm hug it feels so good
1: (laughs) yes it does I always love talking to you um as well I feel like Podcasts or not, I always <laughs> walk away feeling, yeah, just excited, you know, about about the world and 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 what's possible, and and inspired and and grateful. You know that there that there are are teachers and and educators out there, like like yourself, and so many others that are creating these, creating the the reimagined education. Mm-hmm. That we that we were talking about it's nice yeah it's nice to it's nice. to dream with you,
0: yes, I love that, and I look forward to our dreams becoming realities i I see it i see the I see that the seeds have been planted um, at least in California, we're seeing some really great initiatives that are currently and actively happening, especially when it comes to kind of discipline and looking at how are we reimagining what that looks like and how do we create these environments for students um, and kind of being a little bit more proactive. It's not perfect, but I do see the seeds are being planted and I do see the steps in, in that direction and I do see the best practices shifting and changing. And so that that is one thing that continues to give me hope, at least in education and advocacy and social justice, is that, OK, it might be slow progress, but
1: there's progress and I can see it. <laughs> yes 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 the needle the needle starting to sh- to shift it's a little tight hit, and i'm like there you are I see you yes are. yes exactly 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 yes well,
0: thank you again for joining me on the conscious pathways podcast i again this was just the coziest warmest conversation it just brought me so much joy um i always again love our conversations and hopefully one day you'll want to come back and join us again for another conversation on education and social justice and all the beautiful things
1: yes absolutely thank you thank you so much for having me it's it's an honor and and a pleasure and a joy thank you
0: thank you for listening to the conscious pathways podcast This conversation was just like a warm hug for me, and I hope you got a lot out of it just as I did. If you want to continue to help the podcast, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts you can head over to our Instagram page and join our conversation. If you have any ideas for future episodes or any topics you'd like me to explore in depth, go ahead and send us a DM on our Instagram. It's just conscious.pathways. I'll see you next week for more transformative conversations in education.
1: Bye!